Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we chewed over the numbers in national polls, learned about the tendency towards the global police state, and heard new music from Chicago's most vital artists. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for October 9th, 2020. Mario Smith chatted with Quentin Scott about the chaos in America's political system. Scott drilled down on the polling that shows Joe Biden has several paths to victory, but that only two key states are really in play. And Scott detailed how Mayor Lightfoot is surprisingly popular, despite a rough year in Chicago. News from the service entrance with Mario Smith airs every Thursday at 2 p.m. Let's get right to it, and, and that time is of the essence in many different, different capacities. I want to talk first about Operation Legend. Operation Legend is a, a uh, FBI-inspired intel operation in cooperation with the Chicago Police Department in an effort to bring crime down in the parts of the city where crime is prevalent. It's just like seven neighborhoods out of 77. Um, Operation Legend, let, let Bill Barr tell it, the head of the DOJ, has been a rip-roaring success. The numbers in Chicago have decreased. Let the mayor tell it those numbers aren't true. Where are we with Operation Legend number-wise? Yeah, uh, so uh, the murder rate is down from June and July. Uh, it is down 45% from July and 35% down from June. Uh, I don't think the mayor's office is really disputing those numbers. They're disputing what, uh, what are the causes of those numbers going down. Uh, depending on if you look at uh, some of the uh, uh, media reports and then if you look at the Department of Justice website, they've arrested somewhere between 103 and 500 people through Operation mm-hmm. Legend just in Chicago. Uh, but when I did a deeper dive into the numbers, uh, August is typically uh, a less of a murder rate than June and July. And that's going back for the last four five, six years. Uh, yeah. So uh, I could say that August was just a return to normalcy. And uh, the two outlier months of June and July, where July was the highest murder rate we've had in 28 years, that it was just sort of a natural progression of it was going to go down in July, uh, in, down in August regardless of Operation Legend. With the numbers being what they are, is that to say that that Operation Legend on its face is a success and that this will continue past this summer? Uh, I think that uh, the Trump administration is going to claim it is a success. And if he is reelected, I can see it happening uh, again. Uh, However, I do think it is a political stunt uh, by Trump's administration to sh- you know, show law and order for his re-election. Uh, and so uh, I think it just depends on who wins uh, this presidential, if we'll see Operation Legend again. Speaking of the presidential race, uh, we will we will uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this, this incredible election that has been uh, cloaked in COVID-19 and and uh, protest across the country and COVID-19 around the world, of course. Um, how is it faring out for Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump numbers-wise, knowing that in the past, poll numbers have shown both Hillary Clinton uh, uh, winning decisively and that the numbers were so decisive that people might have looked at those and been like, why should I go out and vote? Looks like Clinton's going to beat Trump. Yeah. So uh, I think this is one of those uh, uh, sort of confusing things. So in 2016, uh, the national polls had Hillary up by five points, uh, which is a decisive victory. So you're right. I think some people stayed home. 
Mm-hmm. And if you look at the popular vote total, she won by 4%. So uh, the national polls didn't lie. What it is, is you have to look at state polling numbers. That's the key to these elections because it's about electoral votes. So if we look at the state uh, numbers in some key states like Wisconsin, uh, Joe Biden's up by six points there right now. Uh, in Michigan, he's up by five points. In Ohio, he's up by one point. But at the same point in 2016, Hillary was down to Trump by three points in Ohio. And in Pennsylvania, uh, Biden is up by uh, six points. Uh, so his numbers are better than Hillary's numbers in 2016 with 20, 29 days to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Democrats in two states that are typically not uh, uh, battlegrounds in Georgia and Arizona, Biden is ahead in both states, uh, Georgia and Arizona. By I mean, it's a slim margin and mm-hmm. Georgia is one point uh, and Arizona is three points. But you got to remember, Georgia just back in August, was in seven points in favor of Donald Trump. So in the last two months, uh, Biden has been able to swing uh, Georgia by uh, eight points to give himself a one-point lead. So that, you know, uh, like I said, Biden has put himself in a uh, really good position. He's just got to not mess it up in the next, you know, 20-something days. I would hope, I would hope for with every fiber of my being, I would hope that this man does not screw this up with with. 20-something days left before the election. With with those numbers being what they are and doing a little bit of a deeper dive into them, COVID-19 has affected Donald Trump probably in a way that he hates, and which may have something to do with his WWE-esque uh, reappearance from the hospital back to the balcony at the White House. Is COVID-19 going to be the reason Donald Trump loses this election, you think? Uh, I think it's a big part of it. Uh, for three and a half years, he has built his entire re-election campaign on a very strong economy. Uh, And as we know, uh, the economy numbers aren't great since COVID-19 started. And because of the economy is not great and some other social factors that have come out of uh, COVID-19, he has now uh, been put in a position that he's uncomfortable. He doesn't Mm -hmm. know how to make an argument to be president outside of you know, everybody's doing well in the economy. And so you see him grasping at straws. He's going back to his sort of uh, base, uh, giving his uh, base red meat by, you know, doing things like Operation Legend. He's Mm -hmm. engaging in, you know, race politics, Uh, even with a debate where uh, he did not condemn white supremacy uh, because those are his people. He needs them to come out. So he's not going to criticize them at his, uh, you know, at his moment of need. Uh, So, I think that when we look at this election uh, and analyze the state by state uh, voter turnouts, we'll see that uh, COVID-19 played a role in his defeat. We're with Quentin Scott, Makala's numbers guy. It's Makala's numbers guy, not your number guy. Be cool. Relax. (laughs) Take it it easy. Um, And let's talk quickly about uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, Quite a tumultuous summer. Uh, she had a pretty decent, all things considered, uh, spring with, with dealing with COVID-19. This summer, though, not so much. And then she showed up in a superhero outfit to talk about Halloween and how to how to get candy safely. What what do the numbers look like on Mayor Lightfoot? Those numbers are really surprising uh, because if you are uh, associated with the teachers union or if you have a lot of police officers that are friends or you hang out with a lot of young social activists, you would think there's no chance that Lori Lightfoot can win re-election. 
Uh, but the latest uh, approval numbers citywide uh, have her actually at 78 percent. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and 86 percent of people feel that she has handled the pandemic well. Uh, so I think it's just if you live in those bubbles of, like I said, the police officers or teachers or young activists that are talking about, uh, you know, uh, social justice change. She's not great for those three groups. Uh, but if you're not in those three groups, the rest of the city is uh, pretty happy with her. And I think that they feel like some of the things that the challenges she's faced this year are not her fault. Mm. Who would have thought that we would have had a pandemic in 2019? I'm sure Rahm Emanuel somewhere is like, man, I'm so glad I don't want to run for re-election. Oh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> I'm 100% sure he is. So with the, so 70, wow, that's that's... That's mind-boggling because I guess maybe I'm part of those other three groups that are like, eh, I didn't think, I knew that, and we said on this show from the beginning, so if she ever hears it, you know, we were all like the number, the, the, the performance of her and Governor Pritzker during the pandemic has been exemplary. It's, it, in fact, probably a model for the rest of the country on how to deal in a major city with a pandemic. They both did an amazing job. That can't be disputed. The other stuff, though, that's still a really high number. Even if you took that out, it's a lot of people like her. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at her base in particular, you got to remember this poll was done of 500 likely voters. So we're talking about uh, the folks who are probably older, who haven't missed any election cycles. They're not so, especially with all the looting, that sort of like turns against sort of the criminal justice reform arguments and mm. you got to remember her base is not necessarily on the south and west side of chicago it's in the 42nd ward up north the 43rd sure. the 44th the 47th where they're less likely to support some of these reform uh issues that we're uh protesting in regards to and so her base is pretty much she's you know feeding towards her base and they're still holding her strong Let's look at a little bit of the future if we can. I, I don't know. I'm kind of dropping this on you at the moment. But uh, November 3rd, which I'm hoping you can clear your calendar so you can be a part of our election night. I'm doing producing on the air. I want you to be a part of our show November 3rd, man, because your 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 info is invaluable. And it, it will always be of service to, to me. And, and I think it would be really cool for the rest of the country to hear what we've been hearing on my show for a while. So I hope you can make November 3rd, even if it's virtual. Okay. Because chances are you're going to be in some kind of weird Dr. Strange love room with a million computers and, and lights and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, probably. McKyla <laughs> probably had me doing something. Uh, I'm sure of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. With, the, with that in mind, um, what's your forecast for, for uh, not just the national election, but for locally for, for uh, Lori Lightfoot in the future? I know she's only, what, year two or four. But um, her desire to want to be mayor in two more years, all those things coming into factor, I imagine. Um, let's let's do the national first. Who, who do you think is going to actually pull this out? I think uh, Joe Biden pulls it out. Uh, it's going to be uh, really tight. Um, I honestly think this comes down to two states, and that is Iowa and Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, if Joe Biden wins Pennsylvania, he's president. Uh, if he loses Pennsylvania and Iowa, Trump wins re-election. I think that's honestly where it comes down to. I know the polls have Biden being competitive in Georgia and Arizona, but I think both of those states are within the area of margins. And I think that people will still kind of go with their traditional uh, outlooks. 
And so, yeah, it's going to come down to Pennsylvania. And I think Joe Biden pulls it out. I'm going to have to do a show from Iowa then. Get these people on the, on the right foot. <laughs> do it from uh, the shopping mall. And uh, in, I, I know where to go. <laughs> I know where to get it done. And uh, Lori Lightfoot, that popularity number is still blowing my mind. But um, I know we're forecasting two years from now her wanting to be mayor still. Um, but it sounds like if she were to run, if the race were tomorrow, a phrase I hate, if she would win. Yeah, she would. Uh, but I do think that she's kind of getting a pass because of everything that's taken place over the last six, seven, eight months. Mm-hmm. However, I think once we get past the pandemic and she has to then figure out how to balance these budgets, uh, because, you no, know, uh, they've been running up a lot of overtime. I think this morning I read uh, Chicago has racked up two hundred and twenty two million dollars in overtime Ooh, with wee. city employees. Uh, yeah. And that's Ooh. just up till yesterday. Oh, so wow. that's numbers going to probably go up. So it, I think she'll really be judged based on how she handles the budget situation in year three and four uh, once we get past this pandemic phase. chatted with Maurice Meyer, author of The Seventh Mansion. Meyer chatted about young adult fiction, modern horror, and the fatal attraction of Catholic saints. I-94, Lumpen Radio's books and literature show, airs every Thursday and Sunday at 11 a.m. Yeah, well, I did have this idea several years ago to write a young adult novel about a young person who is a necrophile. (laughs) Um, And I don't know what 
why I had this idea. But I think it was partly because I also fell into the trap of thinking if you write about young people, then it's a book for young people specifically, that it's that it needs to be marketed in a way, in a young adult way. But I think also I was thinking it would be interesting to challenge the category itself by taking subject matter that other people would think was taboo or inappropriate and putting it into this category that, you know, need that people think needs to be safe or it needs to be um, separated at all for whatever reason from adult fiction. And then as I was writing this book, which is not, you know, I don't use the word necrophilia or necrophile in it because it doesn't, you know, it's a sensational word and I like saying it, but it doesn't quite sum up what the nature of the relationship right. is yeah, yeah. Um, between Z and the, and the the saints and his fascination for bones. But I am really disturbed by this idea that any book that has a protagonist who's under the age of 18 is automatically a coming of age story and that was language that I did not want marketing to use for this book which they did anyway (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I think you know they just can't help it or or, you know all of the stuff that it's about Z becoming something becoming adult becoming wiser becoming uh, you know more aware of what the real world is I guess Um, and as a youth liberationists, like, I, I don't believe in these categories of child and adult. I think children are the most oppressed minority in the world. Um, they're the only category of people that have pretty much no rights under the law. Um, they're the property of, of adults, of their parents. Um, and I think that's really weird. And the excuses we use to perpetuate that oppression are all the same excuses we've used to oppress women and minorities for centuries. Um, and the fact that we don't question the use of those ideas against young people when we've, when we've come to accept that we can question them for all these other categories to me is, is really interesting. So the, the idea to write about a young person was definitely purposeful. It had been in my mind for a long time. Um, but then I, I think I thought if I had tried to present the book to a publisher as a young adult novel, it, it would have backfired and then, you know, there would have been more limitations on how I could have written the book and it didn't make sense because the whole point was to like explode the category anyway. But I'm glad that people asked the question because people have been talking about the fact that it is about a young person and it gives me an excuse to um, push back against yeah. these categories. Yeah, and it's not, it, there's no exploitation in it to me. I mean, you know, we were laughing about the skeleton and, and, yeah. and Z, but it's also a highly, I mean, it's one of the most spiritual novels I've read in a long time. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. And um, his relationship with the earth is different than anything I've ever read before. I mean, it's, uh, at first I was like, oh, he's obsessed. But then I was like, no, there's a connection there. There's, it's, I, I hate using the word magic because <laughs> it makes me think of like David Copperfield or something. <laughs> but like, there's like this magical connection between this kid and the earth. And I also want to say, I reviewed young adult novels for 10 years for Chicago Public Library, and this, although the protagonist is young, this is one, it's it's very original. Yeah, it's not formulaic. Yeah, Thank and you. that's, I mean, Thank and, you. and I'm not saying this is a YA novel. I don't think it is. I think it's a novel about a young person that's very connected that we don't see in a lot of adults. I mean, there's a... a a strange, like, spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Jim. Well, I was, I was going to say, just coming back to your point, I, I think it's really interesting you talked about not thinking of this as a coming-of-age story. That never entered my mind. Mm-hmm. Me neither. You know, I, when, I, when I read the book, I, I looked at it 
I think more in the way of Jeremy, you know, it, it, it spoke to me more, um, you know, I related a little more to, and I called him she for some reason, not G. I'm terrible with name pronunciation. He so, says it in the book, yeah. Yeah, I'm terrible. And I'm so. sorry, Jamie, I asked Maurice the proper pronunciation. Okay, well, pronunciation. Yeah. I can't so, even pronounce pronounce. Yeah, but, so yeah. In, in my head, you know, that was that was how it was. So I, I should, you know, I should own up to that right now. Um, but, but. G's character struck me as somebody that I, you know, related to. Somebody see. kind of a fish. See, I'm not. not uh, it's my character. I, I read the book too. Okay, it, he's, you know, he's a fish out of water. He's very uncomfortable in high school. He doesn't really fit in anywhere. Um, and many of the things that he's drawn to and attracted to, um, the people around him simply not only don't understand but cannot understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There, there's no way that they can. They, they think they understand. It because they have some similar interests. You know, some of the people that are involved in um, environmental causes and animal liberation causes and stuff like that, but they don't because his connection to these things, as I think Jeremy's pointed out, and I think you you were trying to get at, is at a far deeper and less conscious level. And I think one of the things that was really interesting is that you were kind of plumbing this sort of unconscious connection that he has to these things that have existed in our society for so long, this kind of uh, mysticism that we've put into rituals, this mysticism that we've put into uh, stories and, and the ways that we describe ourselves. And he really feels that at an innate central level, which no one else does. So as a result, you know, it's not a coming of age story. He, he's a complete outsider. And I don't actually think he's ever going to come inside yes you know what i mean there's there's no room for him to be inside because he's simply i I looked at him in a weird way as kind of post-human and and Mm. Mm non-human because he he really doesn't have that distance that we as the human animals have from all these other things yeah he doesn't want the distance i mean he feels a sort of institutional separation i guess he's aware of all the things that separate him from all other creatures and um I think the coming of age, I want to go back to like his his age and this idea that I love what you said that he's he's always going to be an outsider. So he'll never come of age in a certain right. sense. Yeah. And I think some people look at it and there's been some um, criticism from readers who and, and fans of my other work who really dislike the book because they feel that Z is spoiled. <laughs> And um, really? you know he needs to grow up. Yeah, it's weird to have. That's how I felt about Joe. I I didn't like <laughs> Joe. <laughs> like, um, and I think there's this association between what we call idealism and youth. And I think that was why it was really hard for people to 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 not frame this story in terms of a category. About I thought that was adult. a beautiful part of the book. His father was. So so loving, know, and, and it was that's dad. what made it realistic. It and, wasn't you, this and you felt so bad for him, like I was like, oh, this poor dude. I know. <laughs> oh, the dad. Yeah, man, yeah. he just took it on the chin because he it, tried so hard. He did try. Well, yeah. To me, it wasn't like Z was never going to come of age or never going to grow up. It, it's it was him being fifteen, sixteen was the perfect way to to really accentuate what it means to become yourself. Yeah. And the he, struggles to become he yourself. He is himself already, yeah. right? And it's, he, it's this pressure right. from the outside to say, you need to let go of these ideas and these feelings that aren't part of the real world. When he really is more aware of the real world than some of the people around him. He's not perfect. But he, he doesn't have the experience he that some of the older activists have. And to right. me, the book was about him 
having experiences that he was going to have a choice. He could either conform to, mm-hmm. to what his elders were doing, including his female friends, who I think are a little bit older than him, yeah. or he could choose to do what's right, often which seems really crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And that's, that's, that seems so real mm-hmm. and it, to me. Can you tie that into, you were talking earlier about, I forgot exactly how you phrased it, the child, children, the oppression. Child liberation. Child liberation. liberation. Yeah, can you tie that in? Uh, I, I've never heard that before. I think I've read that in an interview with you in the mm-hmm. past. We talked about it last I, time. Yeah, like sure. when we did, I, did we do RAG last time or Heartbreak? It was RAG. Yeah. And um, can you, I, I, I wasn't familiar with that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably aren't either. And I'd like to hear a little more about that. Maybe if you want to tie it in with Z. Oh, yeah. So youth liberation is just, like all liberations, it's the idea that young people should have equal rights under the law. Now, I'm an anarchist as well, so the idea of rights and laws, whatever. <laughs> but um, it's just about breaking, examining the category and the effort to, to, to break it down. Okay. So I think that children of all age, any ages, should um, there shouldn't be limits on whether they can work, own property, Choose where they live. Choose where they go to school. Not to go to school. All you know, it's total liberation. Hey Jessica, you want to go grab a bite? I was thinking we could work on my autobiography, Kyle, the War Years that I've been talking about. I would love to, Kyle, but I'm actually super tapped out. I had to send some money back to my friends in Joliet. <laughs> it's okay, Jess. I'm loaded. I got a ton of cash from the scrapyard. <laughs> How? It's always leaving those metal kegs around the place, and this guy on Halstead gives me two bucks a piece. Kyle, A piece? You, uh, you know what? Never mind. Eat the rich. Where do you want to go? I was thinking the hash over at George's is pretty good. No way, Kyle. Anywhere but there. All right, that's fine. How about the Bridgeport Diner? It's good, but I'm banned, remember? The whole thing with the card tricks and the furs. Ah, yeah, well, uh, how about that place on 35th that replaced Remova? Uh, What you call it, uh, Maury's? Maury's? What's the matter, Jess? It's just my mom works there. Hold on a sec. You're mine, Bridgeport. How come you ain't not said nothing about it yet? She and I don't really get along super well. Ah, jeez. A mother's supposed to be her daughter's best friend. That cannot be true. Or, eh, at least it's not true for me. What, what do you mean? Oh, God, Kyle. Where to begin? Oh, how about one of them audio flashbacks you like? Oh, my God, wow. It's like some of what I say gets into your head. They grow up so fast. It all began when I was a child. People were always saying that my mother and I looked alike, but whereas I have perfect, impeccable diction, my mom, well. Are you going to take all day in there? And as I grew older, it grew worse. I excelled in debate, choir, even ventriloquism. My mom couldn't handle it. Every time I opened my mouth in public, there she was. You know, I was considered for a part with the Supremes, but I was just too real for that scene. No, you weren't. Stop hogging my flashback. You don't know anything. You're just a kid. I, and it's true. I was just a kid. Until my mother stole my uh, boyfriend. Then apparently I was an accessory. 
An accessory? Like a purse or something? Sure. The point is, I don't want to see Diane. She stays on her side of Bridgeport, I stay on my side, and a little bit of West Undertown because there's some really nice views there. Hold on a second. What did you say her name was? Diane. My, my mom's name is Diane. I used to know a Diane. Real well, in fact. Oh, yeah? You better cue up the flashback noise. So, in 1986, Gung Ho took its place in cinematic legend alongside Police Academy Tree. Everybody was Wang Chunging. I wore more complicated jeans. I was working as a wall washer at the erotic warehouse. I was young, dumb, and full of... Come on, Kyle. What? I was full of ambition. I was looking to work my way up from wall washer to videotape rewinder. Anywho, before I was so rudely interrupted... I was in Grant Park surveying the lunchtime garbage as I want to do when along walked the most beautiful creature that I have ever laid eyes on. And walking that Airedale was a set of legs topped with curly black hair and a catchy grin. You looking for a meal, sailor? Yeah, you knows it, honey. You want half this pizza crust? I was thinking maybe something a little classier. And that's how we ended up at Bennigan's. Kyle, can we skip the romantic montage and get to the point? Nah, it wasn't that romantic. But it was really dirty. Ugh, gross. That summer was the most magical I can recall. I ate people food almost every night. The boss gave me a bigger squeegee, and Diane and I would sit out late and just watch the stars. Oh, what happened? I don't know, Jess. One day, Diane left me a note saying that she had to go take care of something and wouldn't be back for several months, and that was the last I ever seen of her. Well, that's pretty depressing for a variety of reasons. Listen, if you want to go to Maury's, we can go. I guess it's okay. Thanks. Yeah, being sad makes me hungry. Couple stacks, Adam Eve on a raft, Rackham, Mujus in 51, and sweep the floor. Hi, Mom. Jessica, what, you living around here? <sighs> Mom, you know I do. You were screaming bloody murder at my apartment last night for 45 minutes. I was. Does that idiot Terry live with you? No, Mom. Anyways, this is Kyle. This is the guy that I've been working with for the radio. Well, you know, I always said you had a face for radio. Diane? Wait, Kyle? Wait, you know this Diane? Oh, yeah. Real well. Just please, no. Kyle and I used to hang right around when you were born, actually. Come to think of it, you two do look an awful lot alike. We We do do not. I'm much prettier. Wait, 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 wait. Mom, you knew Kyle in 1986. Listen, babe, I gotta go to the crapper. I think Lenny's passed out in there again. We'll catch up later. This week on the Trump Diaries, confusion and chaos as Trump is felled by COVID, a super spreader event in the Rose Garden, Trump defies medical orders and forces the Secret Service to be exposed, the Senate shuts as Mitch McConnell tries to force through the Supreme Court nomination, and Trump sabotages pandemic relief as Republicans begin to panic. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1352, October 2nd. Trump, his top aide, and the first lady have all tested positive for coronavirus, throwing the election and the government of the United States into chaos. Trump made the announcement at 1 a.m. in a tweet. At 74 and obese, Trump is in the danger zone for COVID-19. 
He has repeatedly mocked wearing masks and undercut his own scientists while claiming falsely the USA is rounding a corner in the pandemic. Doing it to his disdain for masks, staffers do not wear them around him. Hope Hicks is symptomatic. Trump reportedly has a low-grade fever, nasal congestion, and a cough. He refused an infusion of experimental antibody cocktails and was taken to Walter Reed Medical Center Friday afternoon by helicopter after his condition worsened. He will remain at Walter Reed over the weekend. Hicks traveled with Trump on Air Force One and Marine One this week to the presidential debate in Cleveland and to a campaign rally in Minnesota. After the White House learned of Hicks' symptoms, Trump flew to New Jersey for a fundraiser, delivered a speech, and was in close contact with dozens of other people, including campaign supporters at a roundtable. At a political dinner on Thursday, Trump told guests, quote, the end of the pandemic is in sight. And at the Minnesota campaign rally, Trump unleashed an attack on Muslim Democrat Ilhan Omar, accusing her of, quote, telling us, meaning his overwhelmingly white audience, how to run our country. The crowd chanted, lock her up, as Trump screamed, how the hell did Minnesota elect her? What the hell is wrong with you people? Trump also baselessly alleged that, quote, Biden will turn Minnesota into a refugee camp. Trump's nominee to succeed Justice Ginsburg on the Supreme Court signed a newspaper ad in 2006 that supported overturning Roe v. Wade. That ad, which ran across two pages in the South Bend Tribune of Indiana, called the decision, quote, an exercise of raw judicial power and urged overturning its, quote, barbaric legacy. Judge Amy Coney Barrett is now meeting with Democrats. They have seized on Barrett's view and her desire to also overturn health care and protections for pre-existing conditions in the middle of a deadly pandemic. And the Justice Department and the FBI are preparing for Election Day civil unrest. Officials familiar with the matter say planning is particularly intense this year because of the unrest the country has already seen, the nature of an election during a pandemic, and Trump's repeated tweets claiming election fraud. Day 1,353, October 3rd. Chaos and confusion reigned after contradictory and at times outright false statements about Trump's medical condition. White House physician Dr. Sean Conley had said Trump was, quote, doing very well, his fever had subsided, and his symptoms were improving, and that he was not receiving supplemental oxygen. Trump reportedly told doctors, quote, I feel like I could walk out of here today. However, that was immediately contradicted by White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who told reporters off the record but on camera that Trump's, quote, vitals over the last 24 hours were very concerning and the next 48 hours will be critical. We're not on a clear path to a full recovery. Trump was reportedly furious with Meadows. It later transpired that Trump's blood oxygen level dropped twice to 93%, the clinical threshold for severe COVID. Trump was then given the steroid dexamethasone. This is a frontline treatment for severe to critical COVID. He was also given two doses of the experimental drug Remdesivir. Even more confusing, Dr. Connolly said Trump was 72 hours into his diagnosis, which would have meant Trump was positive on Wednesday. Trump then tweeted a video in which he looked notably sallow and fatigued, yet insisted that, quote, I'm starting to feel good. Meanwhile, the White House identified at least 206 people who may have been exposed to the coronavirus at Trump's fundraiser at Bedminster. They also reportedly refused to allow the CDC to do contact tracing of people who were at the unveiling ceremony of Judge Amy Conan Barrett. As many as 30 people might have contracted the virus there. Fox News paid a former assistant... Fox News paid a former assistant to Donald Trump Jr.'s current girlfriend $4 million to avoid going to trial. 
In November 2018, a young woman who had been one of Kimberly Guilfoyle's assistants at Fox News sent company executives a confidential complaint demanding monetary relief and claiming sexual harassment. The assistant alleged that Guilfoyle subjected her frequently to degrading, abusive, and sexually inappropriate behavior. She said she was frequently required to work at Guilfoyle's New York apartment while the Fox host displayed herself naked. She also demanded a massage of her bare thighs, demanded the assistant share a room with her on business trips, required her to sleep over at her apartment, and exposed herself to her repeatedly. The complaint also accuses Guilfoyle of trying to buy her silence. Fox News had announced it had parted ways with Kimberly Guilfoyle following the out-of-court settlement. And Melania Trump was taped mocking migrant children separated at the border. Melania complained about being criticized for her husband's policy of separating families who illegally crossed the southern border, while at the same time needing to perform traditional first lady duties, such as preparing for Christmas. Quote, they say I'm complicit. I'm the same like him. I support him. I don't say enough. I don't do enough where I am, she said. Okay, and then I do it, and then I say I'm working on Christmas and planning for the Christmas, and they say, oh, what about the children that they were separating? Give me a break. I'm working my ass off on Christmas stuff. But you know, who gives up about the Christmas stuff and decorations? Day 1354, October 4th. Trump demanded he be taken back to the White House on Sunday. Quote, he is done with the hospital, claiming the sight of him being hospitalized, quote, makes him look weak. Trump then forced his staff to ferry him in a limousine around the hospital to wave to supporters that may have exposed multiple Secret Service agents to COVID. Video showed Trump wearing a mask and waving from behind the closed window of a black SUV, accompanied by at least two Secret Service agents who were wearing respirators and eye protections. Staffers say Trump forced the drive after telling aides he was bored. Dr. James Phillips, an attending physician at Walter Reed, called the stunt insanity, noting that the presidential SUV is not only bulletproof, but hermetically sealed against chemical attack. The risk of COVID transmission inside it is as high as it gets. The irresponsibility is astounding. Multiple Secret Service agents also criticized Trump's drive-by, accusing him of putting his protective detail in unnecessary danger. Quote, he's not even pretending to care now. That never should have happened. The drive-by came as more members of the White House were diagnosed with COVID, including Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany and a number of key aides. Now, at least a dozen members of the White House, including Trump's campaign manager, the head of the Republican National Committee, three senators, Kellyanne Conway and Chris Christie, have also been infected, grinding that institution to a halt. Also, at least three journalists tested positive. And Trump tweeted that he's, quote, learned a lot about the coronavirus while undergoing treatment. Quote, this is the real school. This isn't the let's read the book school, and I get it, I understand it. In the video, Trump lied about why he was even in the hospital to begin with. He said he went, quote, because I just didn't want to stay in the White House to quarantine, which meant lock yourself in, don't ever leave, don't even go to the Oval Office. The video was accompanied by photos of Trump hard at work signing blank sheets of paper. Day 1355, October 5th. Trump announced he will leave Walter Reed Medical Center at 6.30 after receiving treatment unavailable to most Americans. Trump reportedly argued with his doctors after they told him to go to Walter Reed on Friday. Doctors reportedly gave Trump an ultimatum. He could go to the hospital while he could still walk or doctors would take him in a wheelchair or on a stretcher. Trump waited to leave for the hospital until the stock market closed that day. Trump Jr. thinks his father is acting crazy. 
According to sources, Don Jr. told friends that he tried lobbying his sister Ivanka, Eric Trump, and Jared Kushner to convince the president that he, quote, needs to stop acting unstable. Trump Jr. said, quote, he wants to stage an intervention, but Jared and Ivanka keep telling Trump how great he's doing. Trump Jr. is also reportedly reluctant to confront his father alone, saying, quote, I'm not going to be the only one to tell him he's acting crazy. 90% of the White House staff learned about Trump's COVID test in the news. There are also reports that COVID is spreading like wildfire through the White House. There are hundreds and hundreds of people who work on complex, some who have families with high-risk family members. The White House has yet to send an email out to tell employees what to do or what is going on. Meanwhile, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said the Senate Judiciary Committee will begin the confirmation process for Judge Amy Coney Barrett on October 12th, despite the fact that two Republican committee members tested positive for COVID. The Senate itself is adjourned to October 19th after Senators Ron Johnson, Mike Lee, and Tom Tillis all tested positive, meaning it is unlikely a vote on pandemic relief will occur before the election. Day 1356, October 6th. Trump overruled his doctors and forced to return to the White House after spending three nights at Walter Reed Medical Center. Outside experts questioned that move, given that many patients quickly deteriorate several days into their illness. Trump has received treatments usually reserved for the most severe cases. His staff has not been transparent with his state or symptoms. Trump's advisors, meanwhile, urged Trump not to check out as recently as this morning, saying, quote, you don't want to come back. On his return to the White House at night without a mask, he told Americans, quote, don't be afraid of COVID, don't let it dominate your life. Those incredible words came on a day when the United States saw the highest number of cases since August, and we passed 2,100 dead. On Trump's return from Walter Reed, he stood gasping before the cameras on the Lincoln balcony in full makeup, saluted into thin air, and held a pose reminiscent of Benito Mussolini. Meanwhile, the CDC says the coronavirus can be spread through airborne particles that can linger in the air for hours, even among people who are more than six feet apart. This new guidance will have major implications for winter, particularly for hospitality and schools. And Trump said his COVID-19 diagnosis could be due to Gold Star family members who reportedly stood too close to him at a September 27th event that honored families of fallen U.S. service members. Trump said that Gold Star families would tell him stories about their loved ones, quote, and they would come within an inch of my face. They would want to hug me and they would want to kiss me, and they do. And frankly, I'm not telling them to back up. I'm not doing it. Day 1357, October 7th. Trump abruptly ended talks with Democrats on an economic stimulus bill, sending the stock market sliding and dealing a blow to an intensive set of on-again, off-again negotiations to deliver aid to struggling Americans before the November elections. Trump claimed he was pulling the plug because, quote, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is not negotiating in good faith. He later seemed to backtrack on that after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell warned again of severe ongoing risk to the economy thanks to Republican intransigence over a second round of stimulus. The House, of course, has twice passed relief bills. The Senate so far has failed to act on them, preferring instead to focus on confirming Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court. Powell warned bluntly that, quote, weakness feeds on weakness and forecast a severe downturn if fresh measures were not enacted soon. Following Powell's words, Trump urged Congress in a tweet to, quote, immediately approve a standalone bill for a new round of $1,200 stimulus checks, as well as $25 billion for the airline industry and an additional $135 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program, adding, quote, I am ready to sign right now. Are you listening, Nancy? 
That tweet came after he had insulted Nancy Pelosi in a previous tweet. Trump told the White House medical staff, I feel great, and that he has been symptom-free from the coronavirus for over 24 hours. White House physician Dr. Sean Conley said Trump hadn't had a fever in four days, his oxygen saturation and respiratory rate were stable and normal, and his blood work on Monday showed detectable levels of COVID-19 antibodies. Trump posted at least 50 tweets and retweets during the morning attacking Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Bernie Sanders, and journalist Lester Holt. Trump tweeted he was declassifying documents related to the Russia investigation, shared a conspiracy video, predicted the confirmation of Amy Conan Barrett to the Supreme Court would be fast and easy, called presidential debate moderator Chris Wallace a total joke, and criticized his own FDA. The United States is seeing a significant tick up in coronavirus cases with a 20% jump. Meanwhile, Trump continued to reject doctor's orders on his need for rest and called his infection, quote, a blessing from God. Meanwhile, senior White House advisor Stephen Miller tested positive for COVID-19. Top Justice Department officials were a driving force behind Trump's child separation policy. Justice Department officials understood and encouraged the separation of children as an expected part of the desire to prosecute all undocumented crossers. In 2018, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and others at the DOJ pushed the zero-tolerance family separation policy. Sessions told attorneys, quote, we need to take away children. Rosenstein went further, telling prosecutors it did not matter how young the children were. Day 1358, October 8th. The FBI is arrested and charged 13 in an alleged plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and start a civil war. The conspirators, five of whom are from Michigan, one is from Delaware, are alleged to have conducted surveillance on Whitmer's summer home, at least twice in preparation for that attack. The goal was to, quote, try Whitmer for treason. These suspects plan to carry out the plan before the election in November. The men were said to be affiliated with the Wolverine Watchmen, an extremist group in Michigan that have been charged with hate crimes, which carried penalties of two to 20 years in prison. The FBI said messages from certain politicians, without naming Trump, who called to liberate Michigan directly contribute to that plot. Trump said he would not show up for a virtual debate after the Commission on Presidential Debates moved to strike in-person appearances for the debate on October 15th. Trump claimed, quote, I'm not going to waste my time on a virtual debate. That's not what debating is all about. You sit behind a computer and do a debate. It's ridiculous. They can cut you off whenever they want. Joe Biden's campaign will instead hold a town hall on ABC. They offered to do one final debate on the 22nd. Kamala Harris and Mike Pence met for their only debate yesterday, a more civil but no less pointed affair. Harris was the consensus winner, steadily hitting Pence on the administration's record on the pandemic, jobs, and the environment. Pence, who appeared to be speaking to an audience of one, was poised but dodged questions on the peaceful transfer of power. Trump responded with an unhinged phone call to Fox Business late night. Quote, this monster that was on stage with Mike Pence, who destroyed her, by the way, this monster, she says, no, 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 there won't be fracking, there won't be this. Everything she said was a lie. Washington Republicans continue to reel from Trump's inexplicable decision to move away from bipartisan talks over a coronavirus aid bill less than a month before Election Day. Republicans chastised the president, while gleeful Democrats immediately made it a fresh campaign issue. It remains unclear why Trump pulled that plug, 
but the most agree needs to happen sooner than later. The economy continues to reel with airlines now furloughing workers. A new study shows 85% of the nation's hospitality jobs could disappear if Congress does not act. Job numbers released today showed continuing softness in the job market. A federal appeals panel said the Manhattan, New York District Attorney can enforce a subpoena seeking Trump's personal and corporate tax returns. Trump has sued and lost in his battle repeatedly to keep those financial records out of the hands of state prosecutors. The verdict, in fact, was the fifth time that courts have rebuffed the Trump attempts to block the subpoena. Cyrus Vance is reportedly investigating tax fraud at the Trump Organization. Trump's son, Eric, was forced to testify under oath yesterday. And the antibody cocktail for COVID-19 Trump touted as a cure for COVID was developed with cells originally derived from fetal tissue. In June 2019, the Trump administration suspended federal funding for most new scientific research involving fetal tissue derived from abortions. However, they used a line from fetal tissue that dates back to 1979. 72% of Americans blame Trump for not taking COVID seriously enough. Now, 34 White House staffers and contacts have been infected with COVID-19. Joe Biden has widened his lead in national polling to as much as 14 points. Biden is also leading now in many key battleground states. Several formerly solid red states are now tipping blue in the wake of Trump's debate performance and COVID diagnosis. The latest Fox News poll out this week shows that by a two-to-one margin, Americans want Roe versus Wade to be upheld and Obamacare to remain as law. Just 24% of Americans believe the pandemic is under control. These are the Trump Diaries. This week, we're pleased to debut Old Gloria's new song, Old Gloria. It was recorded by Curtis Evans and appears courtesy of the band. Special thanks to August Forte. Take me 
think I'm lonely Cause it's Saturday You think I'm only better Better this way So, I mean, the study, the this, this study here in Pluvers, they it didn't just start off with this research. A lot, a lot of history of research has gone into it. Specifically, um, some very important brain scan and fluid measurements taken from a number of verified geniuses over the course of history, including um, some notable ones include the subatomic particle physicist responsible for the discovery of the Gusher meson. Um, and its particular interactions with the Moo field, Dr. Faun Wheeling, as well as everybody's favorite uh, chess master, uh, Yat Hui. So analyzing these certified geniuses, um, they, were, they, they studied them for neural, uh, neural circuitry and body chemistry when they were, in fact, thinking, contemplating, and solving some of their most their most genius works, their masterpieces, so on and so forth. So, for example, you would be grabbing um, fluid of some sort, um, brain fluid, spinocerebral fluid yes. from Yeta uh, Hui, uh, for example. Yeah, while uh, yeah, while playing. Yeah, while while they're engaged in a, in a in a lengthy a lengthy battle with some other master chess players. Fascinating, very fascinating. I, I mean, and some great some great. Uh, things came out of this some very interesting interesting facts um including that some geniuses have even, even been recorded as releasing a specific chemical pheromone known as cranius maxinol really yes uh, who knew that a pheromone was related to being a genius now you're saying that that there is a, the these geniuses are actually excreting excreting a, a, a pheromone into the, the atmosphere around them yes. in their moments of genius. Yes, and, it, and it's not known to what extent this has any effect on other people or even some animals. There are some reports of wood, woodland creatures, uh, you know, forming around certain people while they're, while they're engaged in solving a very complex math problem or something. Um, but there's not, there's not you know, some great data on that it's, yet. It's all anecdotal yeah. at the moment. Broadcast every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen radio sting is by Dan Jugal.
For more information on Lumpin' Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Thank you.